So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to episode 99 of the Running Rugby Podcast. And guess what? Oh my God, boys, we have a Wallabies victory. 24-22. Bledisloe 4 goes to the Wallabies. Ah, I was so damn happy. So happy on Saturday night. Oh, wow. How, How can it happen? How can we go from one week having the biggest loss ever to New Zealand to then beating them? Is it just the, is it just Suncorp? No, mate, it's just swings and roundabouts. It happened last year as well when we absolutely pummeled them in Perth. And then the next week, they turn around New Zealand and beat us convincingly. Like, week to week in this competition, you just, you never know what's going to happen. And we made a whole lot of assumptions last week about the fact that the Wallabies pretty much had no chance to win this. And we had zero confidence in them. And then they just surprised us again. Yeah, they found massive amount of energy and will to to put in in this game and like do we think they tried anything particularly different like i think i think reese hodge stepped in at 10 and just delivered the ball didn't didn't try and loop around and receive the ball again and we didn't do anything too too crazy we just put the ball on people's chests and let them do their thing it was just a very simple but effective approach well well let's go right to the biggest controversy in this game Everyone's talking about it. Two red cards, one on either side. There were two yellow cards followed up later, but two cards that... Uh, there's been a lot of controversy about whether offered um, Tuanga Farsi deserved it for a high shot on Tom Wright, whether Swinton deserved it 10 minutes later. What do you boys think? Were they red cards? So I think the way the laws are written, they are red cards. And if you have a problem with... The fact that a player leaves the field for the game and the team's down a player this whole game, your problem is with the rule. It's not with last Saturday's officiating. So that's saying that you know World Rugby has decided and prioritised that any direct contact to the head um, is with without any mitigating factors is a red card. It's it's pretty black and white the way it's written, and and that's just how they called it. Yeah, I totally agree, and. You know, this has been officiated this way, or this particular rule has been officiated in this fashion for the last few years. It's not that new. We've seen instances of this before, and what? You don't agree? It hasn't been officiated that way. Like, the... the super rugby, going, I've seen it. I've seen no, it internationally. The last, three Bledisloes, the last three Bledisloes, I'm sure there have been high shots that have been similar to that that have not been looked at with that same framework to look at the same yeah, mitigating factor. Many refs I, would I go, yep, that's definitely obvious. a penalty and we're not going to check it. Or they're going to go, mm, yep, that's a penalty. And they'll say, oh, he was dropping a little bit or something. And they'll make some excuse to put it a yellow card. I agree that that is the framework and there was probably the correct call under that, but it's not consistently refed like that. I think just the fact that the first one was so obvious, how his head snapped back. And I know he was right there and he didn't call it on the spot. But 
you know, on replay, it's quite clear his shoulder went directly to the chin. There's not much more you can do with that. I think Swinton's one was a little bit more... It was a little harder to call, to be honest. It was a little lower, but there was more force in it. So that one was a bit more difficult for me, but I think equally, like, in the context of the game, it was fair to give him a red, and I think that's an eye for an eye, and we move on. Yeah, the thing I was really surprised at, given what happened, and obviously the, the call, the objective process in that framework, you know, direct contact to the head, uh, no mitigating factors aside, where was the concussion head knock check for yes. either player? Like, neither player left the field, and we're saying that these are at-risk occurrences yeah, where saying, someone makes direct force, contact. direct contact to the head. Yeah. That's automatic. Like, no one, right. no one no, showed no, no any... One, that's Symptoms right. That's right. Concussion. They weren't staggering around. They but didn't stay not... down particularly. But yeah. let's get it. It's a, not a any medical... shot in the head. You go off. No, no, no. You, true. You generally but have Archie, to show some sort of but medical take on it. Do you have to? Do you have to have been like? Because some guys will get laid out and they'll be you know laying under a ruck for a few seconds and that'll give them a chance to sort themselves out by the time they pop yeah. up. Like it's just it's happened. And no one got taken. Not no one even. I don't think a trainer even came out for either of them. So no one got checked at all, and they popped up and they were fine. And that's okay. But it's just an interesting, interesting angle that, like, you, you're going to penalise someone regardless of the outcome, which I think is good. You don't want outcome-based uh, penalties and and uh, rewards. But then to to also not check those guys at all, like. It's probably just a you know going through the motions and it's nothing, but you, you yeah. still do it because you care about the player's welfare, right? And that, that, that's exact point, Leo. Like you're saying, not ruling it based on outcome comes, and that wasn't done here, and that was correct because if Tom Wright had gone straight down out cold or whatever, no one would probably have a problem with this if he stayed down for two minutes. And that's the funny thing about it because he bounces up, you know, the referee doesn't instantly blow play off and. You know, then people are blowing up and they say, look, he dropped his body height. That wasn't a significant drop in body height. I know Justin Marshall on the commentary was going on about that. That was a mitigating factor. I disagree. Tom Wright stepped slightly and, you know, bent his knee, but that's not a significant drop in body height. So I think it was a fair call. I think it was refereed correctly. Um, Under the law, I agree. Soft, it was refereed that's correctly. That's the law now. And, so, yeah, so basically, we, we let these things get away. Like, we don't let players get away with these things as much as in rugby league. And I think, as an Australian fan, a lot of Australian rugby fans also watch rugby league. So we always have that comparison. I think that actually taints the way we look at these instances as well. So, what what do we think? If if you could write any rule, or you rewrite this rule in any way, what what would you change? Like, to be honest. As as harsh as it is, I don't think I would change it. I think the intent of the the framework is to motivate and incentivize players not to not to make tackles at a height where their margin of error allows for contact to the head. So if I if I'm putting a tackle on a running player and I know look I can you know I can stuff this up a bit and I might hit two inches higher than where I'm trying to hit. Well, if I hit an inch and a half below his chin, then clocking someone in the head is within the range of error. And so really, we just need to drop the the height of the whole whole effort to a point where... Which we have been. Look, 
Yeah. And, and, but no, that's what I mean. Like, I would change the rule. I would just keep the rule as it is. And you've got to communicate that to people and say, look, you, you're not going to hit your target perfectly every time, but you've got to consider that margin of error that you're going to make. Yeah. And you can't and, have a player's head or neck in that margin. And Michael Hooper put it well in the post-game conference and he said, look, we don't, we don't practice to tackle people high. So we practice, we practice tackling people low. So it should be refed that that's the wrong thing to do. The thing that I have a problem with and I think maybe is where the law needs to change is what some things they've introduced in some of the super um, individual competitions this year is, is it a red card where a team needs to go down to 14 men for the entirety of the rest of the game? Or is this where we need to think about an orange card or whatever it is where you lose someone for 10 minutes and that person can't come back on, but you can go back up to 15. Because in my head, a red card is like cynical play, foul play, like intentionally going out there to do something wrong to hurt someone. Whereas I feel like it's just so... There's so much chance for this to happen. And for something like that, I don't think Swinton or Tuanga Farsi were meaning to hit these guys with any malice no, or intent no. to I mean, hurt They were people. very much intending to hit them very hard. And, you know, if they get yeah. hurt, then... As you want to do every not time you make a tackle on the rugby field. So, yeah. so do do does do they deserve to put their team down to fourteen men for Tuanga Fasi, in Tuanga Farsi's case for almost sixty minutes? Yeah, I I like the idea of an orange card, whether it's ten or maybe twenty minutes. There's got to be enough motivation to make sure that players aren't put in a team for a, for a job of laying out the ten and then. You know, all right, now you're gone, but we get back up to numbers after 10 minutes. We're, we're willing to bear that. Um, the hard thing, I think, then becomes, in in that case, in, in the case of a high tackle, how do you make, if, if we call that the orange card and the guy goes off for 10 or 20 and he can't come back but you can replace him, what makes that contact more significant and gets you a red? Again, that you, you can't make this outcome-based. I think you can't make this that the rare. guy's knocked out. But there are times yeah, when yeah, no, you're no. like someone's thrown an arm and coat hanged a dude in the head. Like so it's, so it's pretty much anything that Owen Farrell has done for the last five years, that should <laughs> yeah, be the so, red card framework. Plus the shoulder charge. Plus minus, to, plus minus yeah. some of Sonny Bill's efforts. And I'm trying to go, lead you into it. I'm trying to lead you into it because this, both instances of this were what what you would call legal technique gone wrong. Yeah. As opposed to illegal technique, like no arms. As opposed arms, to like, Scott Barrett last uh, year, where he tucks the arm and gets Hooper in the head when Hooper's driving through. Yeah. And I thought so, that was so that's very soft. That's the line I would draw. So if you that say was a red yellow card. Because shoulder charge. Yeah, yellow card is that it's high because someone initially hit and then slipped up and it got, you know, and didn't, didn't kind of pull out of it. Yeah. What, whatever, or well, mitigating factors come into it. And then orange card is... All right, well, you did everything right except you, you judged it poorly and there's no mitigating factors, out you go. And then red card is that was just completely illegal practice, no arms, swinging arm in the high, and hitting high, like you're out and that's and the team yeah, suffers it. So I, don't, I, think that, I think you can draw lines in a framework yeah, at, look, like that. I don't know how I could write the rule, but I know that I would know it when I see it. Right. Well, well I think, it's I, just I, I think you've is, also got to keep it be... sensible for spectators. They have got to, to be. Well, you leave it up to the discretion the of the ref. You say it's this, unless yeah. you think there's malice of intent behind it, and then it. Well, that's why I said illegal technique. Yeah. 
case by case and it's in the context of the game you can feel those things out on paper it's very difficult but you exactly. saw how fiery this game was i mean the ref can sense that at the at the time he's right down there face to face with the players he knows what's going on he knows how much aggression is flying around so you can kind of sense i think when something's intentional rather than it's not like yeah i think mean, case in point offer hits him he's he's pretty surprised by the result like he's he's not taking it well i think swinton knew based on the context of the game there's already already been a red i've run in here and i've got him slightly high he's not injured but it doesn't look good Bang. yeah he's not as look at like this looks well. like what i just watched someone like red for. the tone has been set and that's a bad error I've, i haven't been accurate in that hit yeah and now i'm paying the consequences absolutely unfortunate but i think look nick berry i'm not always happy with the way he referees games but I thought he had a pretty decent game, and I'm well, not just saying that because of the result. I think he actually was pretty consistent. Yeah, consistency you have to applaud because it was consistent throughout. I think it was. Let's shift away from the negatives of the cards and things. Look, I was worried when New Zealand just got a card. I was like, now we're going we're gonna to win this, but it's going to be with an asterisk. And then we get a card, it gets evened up. In the end, Australia manages to hold on to a victory... I want to talk about our two debutants, Tom Wright, Lockie Swinton, we've already talked a bit about him, and also Reese Hodge at 10, because I think those are probably the three biggest talking points, right? So first off, Lockie Swinton, he only got 30 minutes, and it sounds like most people were pretty happy, pretty impressed with the way he approached the game. He definitely approached with some aggression, um, tried to make an impact early, Made, pulled off a couple of hits that seemed to, I don't know, make the All Blacks think twice about him running at them. What were you guys think? Is this a guy that's meant for international rugby? Because I don't know if we had that opinion before this week. I mean, I think he's unpolished. I think he might even be slightly unproven, even at super level. But he he's not scared of anyone. He goes on the field and he plays in that fashion. I think he really did set the tone in this and noticeably driving guys back. There was one particularly on Sam Kane, I think, where he just, you know, drove him back five, ten metres. And those things make a difference and people notice that things. I think, like you say, the All Blacks did notice that was going on. Um, it might throw them off a little bit. It's not something that Australian teams do on a consistent basis. And if you have an enforcer at six there week to week, like Jer- Jerome Kano used to be for the All Blacks, like they want Shannon and Brazil to be for, uh, Swinton could do it. Dempsey was doing it on a on a you know pretty regular basis. So I think Swinton, if he can stay healthy, I think he's definitely another opportunity. Um, it's going to take a while before we say, well, this is our six going forward. But he's got all the physical attributes. Um, he's got the mindset. Yeah. I think it's just little things on the side. His ball carrying probably needs to improve. Um, he could be an asset in the line-out. I think he was involved the, in the line-out. All the raw ingredients are there. Um, yeah. It's just making sure you harness that. And we were worried about his aggression going into the game because we could foresee something like this happening. And it wasn't quite in the fashion that we expected. But, you know, he Still got a happens. red card on debut. That's pretty significant. Yeah. And it... You know, the result kind of diminishes that. We don't worry too much about it. But if we'd lost by 25 points, can you imagine 
our reaction to to him doing that and him changing the whole game um, because he was a bit reckless. Yeah. The fact that we won this game really covers that up and changes the narrative. So I think we've got to remember that. Absolutely. Leo, talk to me. What do you see out of Tom Wright? Obviously, got the try two minutes in. Might say right place, right time for that. But overall, what do you think of him? Look, Tom Wright had the dream start, right? He, he He's on the end of a of a, a really un, unexpected uh, little kicking, little chip kick out of Reese Hodge, something that I, I didn't see coming at all. It's not part of the the tactics I thought we'd be bringing into the game using Reese Hodge, but they got the, the dream bounce and Banks is straight onto it, draws his man, passes it out to um, Tom Wright, and, and all he has to do is step Sebu Reese inside it. Easy, easy try. Um, so, you know, that would have had him absolutely on a high from the start of, the, of this game. And, look, I think he kept his head well. I think he defended well. I don't remember him getting stood up or falling off a tackle nah. uh, at any particular point. Not that the New Zealanders made a lot of breaks in this game, but, you know, that's testament to everyone's individual effort. Um, but there were times when he was cleaning up at the back. So between he and Banks, there's a lot of pace there. And, and there was a few little kicks in behind that, needed to be cleaned up and, and lofted away. And I think there was one where Wright had to go off his left boot and he, yeah. he cleared that pretty well. Um, you know, he just he just looked he looked solid. He looked at home uh, again, attack. didn't Yeah, this is, this is kind of what I, I thought we'd see at the start. I honestly didn't think in game one we'd see Dalgunu because I thought he was, you know, more X-factor, you know, excitement, but maybe not quite um, just solid enough and reliable enough that you could put him out there first game and expect him to, you know, do all his do all his basic defensive jobs and also you know get the most out of him attack. Whereas Tom Wright seemed like he was a little bit more stable, had had a bit of flair that he could exercise in the right opportunity, but just seemed like his decision making was good. You didn't get quite as much out of him in you know hard hitting defense and pilfers and those sort of surprises you get with Dalgunu. But I, I think honestly he looked exactly as I expected. I think he looked how he played. At the Brumbies, which was really solid, you know, good extra kicking option, good coverage, good awareness of, of the play players and and the general play around him. Um, I think that comes with being a, a ten or a twelve in in his past life. I think you're just kind of looking for opportunities a bit more and, and a little bit more aware in defence. A winger who's been a winger from you know juniors has most of the time just had to defend a couple of men, hasn't had to make too many sort of tricky decisions. I think him sweeping around at fullback, showing that he's, you know, aware of the space behind him inside uh, and clearing two space, you know, picking up the ball and, and turning the right way to clear the ball without getting run down. All those little things, that's just game awareness. And he seems, uh, you know, pretty, pretty solid package there. So yeah. uh, I would not be surprised to see more of Tom Wright. Not that Dalgunu... Um, was a complete failure, but you know, there's little, yeah, there's little issues. I think, with, I think having that and... man to support Banks at the back that also has that kicking game, like like you said, Leo, you yeah. said it straight away um, that you didn't think Corabidi and Dalgunu belonged on the field together just because it limited the skill set of your back three. And I think I think Tom Wright has those skills that you need. And again, Dagunu surprised me when we saw him. He did do a little bit of kicking, and it wasn't yeah. terrible. It was actually some quite good clearances. Um, but, you know, the thing that sticks in my mind from the last couple of games is the, is the contact 
Caleb Clark in the air, just like a, a dumb mistake. And you, you kind of get that. It's kind of, you've got to take the good with the bad when you, when you're carrying someone who's a bit more, uh, explosive, um, yeah, a bit of X factor. You you might get a bit extra in attack, but you might suffer a bit in defense or, you know, you give away some penalties like that and, and cards, obviously you don't want to give it all. So, um, similarly like Swinton, like Swinton, super explosive player. If you played at his best for 60 minutes or whatever you use him for, like fantastic. Like he's absolutely got the potential, but it's the discipline and I guess going on, we'll see like match fitness at that level, whether he can can keep defending in the line and, and not leave a hole. Um, he's got all, like Toby said, he's got all the raw attributes, but I think um, like he and Dalgunu are a bit more dynamic, a bit more uncertain, at times unreliable. Tom Wright just looked really reliable, looked really comfortable there on the wing and, you know, still got pace to burn. And fancy feet. I thought, you know, he's... Some of his stepping work was just so impressive. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost shone out more for the Wallabies than I've seen it at Brumby's level for some reason. Maybe I just expected more at super level for that stuff to happen. But he was doing the same stuff on the Wallaby field yeah. straight away. Um, which I thought was incredible. There are a few little times where he threw the ball away, erratic offloads, and he was trying certain things that you thought, oh, that could have gotten really wrong. He didn't get into trouble with a couple of them, but... Even like when he poised to kick and then he stepped the guy like that, those little things are, that's X factor as well. I feel like he does have that. Um, but yeah, maybe he's just, just be not, careful. maybe he's just not promoted as much as that. Or, you know, it's, it's rarer that he, he kind of goes like for those things, boy. but that's why it's a surprise thing. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. it's, it's willing to not just well, it's having the confidence yeah, the to be a bit unpredictable. Like, with something. Yeah. Every player Which gets is... the ball in that situation, takes the time, does, you know, clears the kick, doesn't take a risk. And he looks up and he goes, you know what, if I just, you know, I mean, slip that's ball pretty past this guy. savvy on debut to have the, yeah. the guts to do that. Like that's, that's, that's probably that's like a Damien you. And you put that together, a which... Bit sneaky, bit, bit tricky. Put that together with, like, off one of our first scrums, we take it blind, Wilson out to White, out to um, Tom Wright. He gets around on the outside, gets around his man, almost shapes the pass. He had Harry Wilson on his inside there. Could have almost set up another bit sort crowded. of tie. I, oh, I don't know. I feel like it was quite open. But again, it's these people that haven't played together a huge amount anyway. I feel like if he's consistently in the team, he might throw that pass. Um, but just the ability to make something happen on a first play sort of thing, it's, it's good to see um, that he, he's someone that can do that yet still be sort of solid at the back. You look at the age of some of these guys as well. Um, rugby.com.au had a good little uh, piece up just showing the number of uh, debutants and the ages. Like We know Lalesio and Bell... Um, and Harry Wilson and Fraser McWright, they're all out of that under-20s group. They're all pretty much 20 or 21. Um, Paisami, 22. Tom Wright, 23. Tate McDermott, obviously still 22. Dagunu's 25, and Ire Simonia, 25. Lockie Swinton, 23. Like, talk about setting yourself up for a four- or even eight-year cycle. Like, these guys are going to be around for a long time. Few of them have looked out of place, and to be honest, if... If you say that Lalesio last game and Simone last game looked a bit out of place, well, game context in mind, Lalesio looked a lot better to uh, to this last game. 
it's it's all just how the team's faring and and yeah. now now all of a sudden we've got these guys to draw upon this depth and they've all experienced playing the toughest team and guys like Tom Wright and Dalguna and could go on have stood up so yeah. how, how much better positioned are we now uh, we just need you know all the other incumbents to stay healthy and we won't have to chop and change so much so let's talk about Reese Hodge obviously a bit of a surprise at 10 a bit of a force change we thought in the end You've already talked about it was a bit sort of surprising to see him put through the little chip two minutes into the game that results in a try. Um, what do you boys think of his performance, both in attack and maybe even more so in defence? I feel like that was probably where he shone out even more. Yeah, yeah that's was what I noticed in, in the first in the first few minutes at least, and often in the second in the first half mostly. I'd say that he really did stand up in defence and. That was something we'd been missing in the front line. I think Tamua brought that, obviously, at 12. But we lost that physical presence in the front line when Noah was starting last week. So I think Reese really took his opportunity there. And everything he does is a little bit awkward and looks a little bit like it's not comfortable, but it somehow works. Um, even the way he runs, like it just it's like he's striding out too much and he looks a bit slow. But he gets the job done and he's kicking games pretty amazing yeah. i was worried when he was goal kicking but that kind of came together in the end as well um and he's not the most dynamic attacker but yeah just he does the simple things right and he does keep things simple when he needs to and i think it it kind of helps us just get the ball out and keep things moving and yeah just doesn't overcomplicate things and i think that had to be the plan this week right you not not every international team has you know three um, Kurtley Beal, Quade Cooper, like Carlos Spencer, Richie Moanga types to, to pick from, right? Not, they don't all have this fast, dynamic, you know, super skillful, tricky, all the kicks. Like, you've got to look at what you've got and play to the strengths. And Australia at the point now with only Reese Hodge and, and some rookies who are healthy, Hodge can deliver a ball. Obviously, he's going to stand up in defense and, and defend in the right spot. He was back and forth across the field for a couple of phases there, making not quite consecutive tackles, but he was definitely covering his territory. Really, all he needed to do in attack was come come onto the ball at the right speed and deliver the pass per the per the plan. You know, if it was a off off a set piece, if it was a Paisami crash ball, or if it's cutting Paisami out to Patea and 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 wrapping and looping wide, like. You've just got to get that first ball in their hands, and if they take all the extra, you know, multiple lines and you know, looping behind, catching second phase ball out of that, that you can you can still achieve a lot. And I think Australia's at that point where we should be taking a more simplified approach. We we're having very little success on our first phase set piece play off lineouts and off scrums. We somehow manage to drop the ball or get it turned over because there's not enough support. Like, it's, it's too frequent that we don't actually get to play on to the second, third, fourth phase when we should be able to set ourselves up, you know, to hold the ball for, for the next minute or two. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with a bit too much complexity. You know, trying to be too tricky, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to be gained just from drawing players in and recycling the ball quickly. And I think that's, that's the value you get with Reese Hodge. You don't actually have the option as much to, to try and do all those extra classy plays. You just keep things simple focus on quick ball and gain line advantage and, and look where you get. You you look quite 
um, well well matched with the All Blacks. And because you haven't run guys in all sorts of crazy lines all over the field, when you make a mistake, you're not all out of position. So you can all just settle into a defensive line and contain. What, like, we were worried about the, like, getting the ball out, as you said, and Hodge was doing that in this game. What I really liked seeing was Banks getting a bit more involved, um, going down the blind, getting his hands on the first or second receiver, but probably more so, which I continue to be amazed by the skill set that Hunter Paisami seems to be improving every week and showing out. He stepped up as a second playmaker in this game and was spreading the ball wide, taking it himself, putting in those little kicks. He really impressed me. And also, we've talked about his defence. I mean, he was facing up against Nani Lamapi. I can't even remember seeing Nani Lamapi make any sort of semi-break in this whole game. So between him and Hodge, they've shut him down. And also him just unlocking some of those outside backs as well. I was very, very impressed with Hunter Paisami in this. And yeah, he's playing out of position. And you're right, Arch. I think he's a bit of an unsung hero in this. He he was consistent. His carries were effective. The lines he was running were, were really solid. And he continues to hit people. And he doesn't miss tackles very often. Um, I think he definitely shut down Lamarpi. I was a bit worried about Lamarpi actually coming in because he brings such... Strong ball carrying and just, you know, he's known to make those breaks and then suddenly there'll be All Blacks tries flying flying around everywhere. And Hunter Passami, I don't know, I just had so many doubts about him, you know, at Wallaby level coming into this season. And, you know, Rennie obviously knows what he's doing with well, him. he obviously because he's saw not... something. Yeah. And the Rebels didn't see it. They let him go to the Reds and I think the Rebels said he was too small. And then you, we saw it this year from the Reds. We thought, okay, this guy's got something about him as well. But it's also super rugby level, and it's the first yeah. year we've really seen it. But it seems that he's unfazed at Wallaby's level doing exactly the same things, if not better and more polished. So Rennie must have really had an impression on him, I think. There's got to be some guys who come through that are just like, I don't, I don't know what the correct or sensible term would be, but just like more coachable than some of these guys who've been playing a position and have always been the starter and have had a whole lot of different um, structures and things put through them and, and they're kind of solidified into a particular style and skill set player, whereas Paisami, probably still quite raw, obviously picking up a lot of what um, the Wallabies are trying to do fairly quickly I mean, the guy must be a bit of a blank canvas for them. It seems like whatever they try with him, he, he's just soaking it up and, and delivering it reasonably consistently. So, you know, he's not a he's not yet typecast as a you know a, a crash ball outside center as a as a you know some sort of wing hybrid that the Reds had him at, at times. You know, now he's playing twelve. Now he's filling a hole where we really thought we basically had no. We said, oh. Yeah, Tamua can do it, but we're not excited. We want to see Simone. Obviously, when he got his chance, it was just you know terrible game to to debut and try and show show your wares. Paisami, slot slot in, keep doing what you're doing. We like the little kicks. We like the hard ball running. Almost always breaks that first tackle and and crosses the gain line, gets that forward momentum going, and you know just just keeps on showing new skills. Not necessarily skills I think he's always had. But it just feels like they're they're able to coach a lot into him 
and he's and he's picking up all the new tactics. And he's he's five years younger than Lamarpa. He's twenty two years old. So this is a guy again who's in that category of we can have him for the next eight years if he stays healthy. You know, the sky's the limit for someone that's playing this well this early. And he's five foot eight, inside outside center. A guy that's actually quite small and undersized for that position. He's overperforming again for his phys- physical attributes, which I think is even more impressive. It's it's so exciting to be at the start of the cycle without a whole bunch of incumbents, obviously brought on by injury. But like this kind of proves how I like what why I feel this way about Hooper. I feel like you have Hooper, you pick him at seven, and you don't get any oh, opportunities to experiment. No, no, no. You can never slide Hooper. No, 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 no. This is not this is not me coming into slide Hooper again, albeit I have done that. But it it just you know you will never see th- like a mix of three players on the field. Like you have Tamua in the side, he's pretty much always going to get picked at twelve, right? If Paisami keeps this up, maybe he can keep Tamua out of twelve. But it's a big call. Like Tamua is still a, a senior experienced players played all over the world i think you i don't know like i think it's, hard. I know, I'm, it's, it's opportunity now i think it's, i see what you're saying with opportunities you, you never know because you never see them we, like it's come about through injury but you see these incumbents displaced you get to experiment and all these diamonds in the rough start appearing and i just feel like i feel so limited while hooper's there that while, while hooper suits some games and other games i feel like he's not what we need you look at still how much nah, ball the All Blacks took off us, pilfering and ripping in the tackle and how much of a frustration they were. Like, we just don't get that. It's just missing from our game, and it belongs at seven. And... I can't... I can't... I'm not on board. I think, like, you had a fair point coming into this year saying Liam Wright could potentially take over that seven jersey. But Hoop has gone actually to another level again. Every time we doubt him, he steps it up again and again. And he's just everywhere making tackles. Yeah, sure, he's not your traditional jackal. We know that. We don't but have he one. He does everything else so well. And he's actually carrying the ball more now as well. He's making He had to. Carry. He had to in this game because Swinton was gone. I noticed that as well. Late in the I game, mean, Hooper took a lot of hit-ups, and that's the absence of your other back rower. Okay, it well, is. so he's just playing his role. That means he's what? adaptable and he has the capacity to do that's that. That's right. But maybe the, the so game everything that we're Hooper to play does, doesn't mean that he does he's really well. It's it's the absence of the jackal skill set that just irks me. And the All Blacks, at their best, look at the way they absolutely tore us to pieces a week and a half ago when they were doing it to us every second, third phase. They were just taking the ball away. We the are not is, going to think... get that out of another player. While because we don't have him doing that. Piece. There's other people doing it. I think Reese Hodge did it at one stage. Like there's a not, lot of people with the like capacity that, to do not that. Not like Sam Kane. Not you like not like David Pocock, yeah, or or Sam Kane or I just think Hooper's played so well these last four games. Um Yeah. I, and I think he had to. I think he knows because Rennie's there now and it's a it's a clean slate. If he doesn't bring it, Rennie might drop him. Like Rennie isn't just gonna be loyal to to the Michael Hooper that's being paid well by Rugby Australia and kind of toe the line. I think Rennie would get in there and make yeah. a change if he had to. And Liam Wright's waiting. Fraser McWright even. Yeah. I've been with. You know, Liam Wright looked a lot better on this game too when he came in. He was very accurate in what he was doing with the clean-outs and didn't see him as much in attack. But defensively, Liam yeah, Wright was, is very strong. But I think he's still... His game needs to improve. I think yeah, he's no. still got another... 
another few levels to go to. And I think that's going to time well with when Michael Hooper does move on. I don't yeah, think probably. there's a rush. In, but Tamura and O'Connor, what, well, Leo? <laughs> Say a piece about who Hooper is. Go for it. <laughs> It's not that Hooper. It's not that Hooper played poorly. It's just where do we get that? All I want to know is where do we get that skill set from? It, we have to get it from somewhere. So, what I was going to say was, if six still hasn't quite uh, appeared, like this this six that we have trial, we've had all these guys come through. Who is the six? Who maybe maybe that's where we can find the jackal skill set? Because Harry Wilson hasn't shown it yet, and I don't expect him to. Hooper's doing everything. At 110% but pilfering. So maybe the six is the guy who we're going to have to lean. He doesn't do it as much, but you still see it. And you shake your head, but you fail to understand that in the modern game, jackling is far less important than it's ever been because of the rules, the way the ruck is refereed. Jackling is is exactly why the All Blacks have gone to the standing rip. So again, yeah, you've got fine. to develop these other Hooper's skills. More than capable of doing that, and yes, they've been doing that more often. So you don't, you don't think Hooper's capable of doing that? If Bowden Barrett can yet. do it, Michael Hooper can do it. If not, ten times better than Bowden can do it. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think that's been a strategy that we've employed yet. I don't think we've been focusing on that. They attack. We're not cutting edge. It'd be nice if we were, but we're at the moment we're, hey, we're we just beat the All Blacks. I think we're up. doing we're doing okay for how inexperienced and how much we lack cohesion in this team. I think we're doing alright. Once again, Michael Hooper did lead the tackle count for Australia this week with fifteen. Um, Rob Simmons close behind him on twelve. Um, probably one guy that we don't give enough credit to for some of those small things, but lineouts were very impressive. We said. On the night, how impressive Matt Phillip was in this game. One guy I wanted to... Oh, okay, there's two people, other people I want to talk about in the starting lineup before we talk about reserves. And obviously we could keep talking about this for weeks, it feels like. Brandon Payangaramosa, has he solidified himself as the Australian number two? Because our lineup was a hell of a lot better on the weekend than it's been probably in multiple weeks past and I know he's been the hooker for multiple weeks but is he someone that you're going to put your faith in or are you still still not convinced I think it's I'm still a... up in the air is what I'd say yeah I'm okay with it I'm okay with it but I think it's a it's a factor of he's had three out of four games and it was always going to improve new group new combinations like you see some of their social media he's obviously mixing in well with that starting set of guys and that would have been a bit of a group to break into because Falau Fahing is basically rolled with all the props forever. So um, I think he's got it at the moment, but it's not because he's elite. It's because he's performed given the opportunity. And I, I reckon if Falau Fahinga or potentially even Ulisi had been, you know, had three starts, like I think that was always going to be trending up. I think BPA is probably the smartest player in all those, those guys. Like he does have, the most game awareness. I think his fitness has maybe been an issue over the last couple of years. And because we did see him really hit a peak maybe in 2018 for the Reds or 2017, I can't remember, but he was playing at a pretty high level and Checker did pick him at that time. And he made his debut back then and then kind of just, you know, fell off the radar. But at the moment, I think around the field, he's 
you know, we saw him got he got stood up last week by Richie Monga in space. That's not his game, obviously. He's not the quickest bloke, but he does have a fair bit of bulk there. I think set piece wise, he's pretty solid. Um, and like I said, I think he's a pretty smart operator around the field. I feel like I have a lot more trust in him than maybe Ulysse or Fyanga. I think Fyanga has the quite a few for, like unforced errors in him. Does make some questionable decisions at times. And at test level, I don't know if you can do that. So I think that there's trust lacking in Fyanga, even though he does a lot of good things on the field, say, for the Brumbies. And we've seen his ability to maul the ball. And, you know, I think he just – he tends to – he plays well for the Brumbies and then he fails to make that next, you know, jump to international level. And he's had quite a few opportunities now. So it's like when do you say, well – this is kind of the limit to this guy's game and are we happy with that or not? Because I don't see him going to the next level. He's had multiple opportunities and just failed to do that. That's fair. We've got we've got basically a stable of very young hookers, right? There is no elder statesman, a slipper sort of era player trying to challenge these guys for that spot. So you got you got Tom Horton, BPA, Flowerfinger, and Jordan Ulysse starting starting hookers for the four teams on the East Coast, and they're all they're all pretty young. They're all they're all changing in sort of form and skills as they as they develop further. I I, I just think at the moment, given the opportunity, they've probably all got the potential, or those three at least. Um, Flowerfinger probably a bit unlucky to be dropped after the first game. You know, remember that that spill he had on off our line out right near the line was him part making a pass realizing that he actually should have carried and trying to reel it back in and, and just handing it over to yeah making to an error. the making an error but, but it was it was actually good it was a good judgment it was poorly executed it was too late to try and yeah. retrieve that so he was seeing what was in front of him i don't think he's a bad player okay. i'm sure he get his opportunity what a what I liked from BPA was that he was out wide and he spilt the ball on that, that long pass from, was it a Hodge or something? And then it happened again, but he nailed it the second time and he was off in space. Mm. So, you know, he did correct that mistake. And I think he's, having heard him, like, speak on a couple of the rugby podcasts, he's quite a, like, articulate, intelligent, you know, player in the way he talks about the game. Which I was surprised by. So I do have faith that he can continue to develop. And I think at the moment, he deserves to stay there, yeah. perhaps for the next two games. And then next year, I think it's it's going to evolve. I think Super Rugby next year, when we lead into the next season, who knows gonna, who's, knows who's going to be there at hooker. We, we can't really predict that. It's not He's not one of the first guys picked in the team. But I think he's earned the right to keep that hooker spot for the moment. Speaking of one of the first guys that's picked in the team... I'll give you guys 30 seconds each to talk about how much you love Marika Korobiti. What I can say about Marika, I think he had, during this four-game stretch, he had a couple of instances where people were questioning him, and I don't think that was justified at all. I think he's one of our most consistent players. He's always at 100% around the field. He does everything with full commitment. Um, You know, case in point, that tackle on... Caleb Clark last week, the tackles in defence this week were just remarkable. Like that last hit on Damian McKenzie, just such a standout moment where he just puts everything into it. And look, if he 
if he's a little bit off the mark with that in his precision, that could have lent to a McKenzie line going down the side there. And it's high risk, high reward. And I just think almost with Marika at the moment, the way he's playing, the risk is diminished. Every other player, that would be a massive risk. It just seems that he's so on point and he's been doing this for three years. That's what's remarkable. It's not not been one or two. He's he's been bringing this sort of these elements to his game since he entered the Wallabies fray. And I just I can't say enough good stuff about him. And I see people online trashing him, saying, "Oh, look, he dropped a few balls last week. Like he's barely a top ten winger in the world. He is, you know, on his day, like the way he played on the weekend. He's a top five winger in the world. It's difficult." Yeah. To criticise him, perhaps his kicking could be better. But as a winger, I think he can get away with that. Everything else, the way he carries the ball, the way he chases kicks, the way he defends, which I think is the strength of his game. That's He's yeah. off the ball game. The speed, the speed, again, astonished me. I know he's quick, but when Severus oh, yeah. was 10 metres on his own, heading towards the line, and Marika just chewed up the metres between them. It looked like Severis hit a pile of quicksand or something because it was just something that Marika's like, nah, no way you were getting to the line and just bundled him out. Yeah, there's there's been a few moments like that. And we used to talk about cover defence. Sometimes it was Nick Phipps. Every now and then it was Foley. Like, Marika has picked up some of the work in, in chasing down those guys coming across from from different space across to save tries. And he did it last week. Last week, he obviously had the brilliant, you know, knees under, carry the ball out. This week, he just, as he said, mowed down Sever Reese. He, he, his judgment is generally pretty good. He knows how fast he is. And, you know, if he's, if he's um, sort of shepherded off the ball when he's chasing a, a kick, trying to put a, a catcher, a Reese receiver under pressure, you know, that's, that's just part of playing in that environment. But, you know, the only thing I think he might be guilty of is trying too hard when we're under stress. And you get some guys who, when when th- when they're under pressure and when it's, it feels like, you know, it's getting away from you, they kind of they they go from a sprint to a jog and they go, oh, you know, we've, you know, that that one's done. We're not going to catch that. And you get other guys who lift and try and pick up the extra slack. And I think that's where often he will infringe, like the the card. Um, on the weekend was him just going that little bit harder for the ball. Like he, he had his chance and he should have backed off and he didn't. He went again and he spoiled it. And and that was him just caring, you know, trying trying too hard to get the ball and not not seeing that it was going to become a, an infringement. So, um, you know, you want guys like that. Like you, you've got to take the good with the bad and you've got to coach them to, to make sure they recognize when, you know, it's not worth trying to, you know, steal the ball when you're going to give up a penalty in that area, but you can't fault the effort and, and the skills are there. Like not every winger needs to kick when you've got a good back three as a unit. And that's where you pick on combinations. So he doesn't need to kick. He's not a complete flunk. He hasn't, he hasn't got a club foot. He can, he can kick it when he has to, but you certainly don't rely on him for that. But you know, for the, for the times in the game when he goes and smashes McKenzie gets up, knocks the ball out of Geordie's hands and wins you the you know or puts the game on ice basically, like you, you don't get that out of every player. That's why no yeah. other players wouldn't have made that, that decision. Yeah. They would have stood back off McKenzie, thinking oh, I can't afford to miss this, and you know had a one on one five meters off McKenzie. We see how that goes, you know. 
a lot of wingers wouldn't do well in that situation. Yeah, there's no hesitation in his game, which I think is the most important thing that he sees someone, he goes for them. No hesitation. So he doesn't give the opposing player any opportunity to get around him. And he's accurate. So he hits them flush. He hits them hard. And they're almost dazed. They don't know what to do. They're just like, okay, shit, like this guy is absolutely out of nowhere. <laughs> they're not expecting to get hit like that. Like, Mackenzie, it's very rare that he's getting the ball in, in the you know, in space and someone's on him that quickly. So I thought it was so impressive. I, I'm hoping Filippo just kind of models his game on um, Corabidi and maybe has a few more strings to his bow maybe in attack, like little things he can do with even with the boot. Um, and look, we've got Vunavalu coming next year as well, another Fijian winger from the Storm in the same vein as Corabidi going up to the Reds. And that guy's got serious talent as well. So suddenly we're looking at three very, very good specialist wingers to choose from from next year, assuming that Vunavalu is, you know, progresses to the same level than those other two. It's, yeah, we're going to have a wealth to choose mm. from in, in, in the back line there. So I think it's, yeah, can't praise him enough. And I think... Look, I hope he's around for the Absolutely. next World Cup. I hope he doesn't pick up injuries. I know he's not the youngest. No, I think he's in his late 20s now. So he's he's kind of in his prime, and I, I hope he can just stay healthy because we need him in the team going forward. How much time have we got, Toby? Jess is probably going to interrupt me in like 20 minutes. Okay. Can I just say one, like we should maybe very quickly just say, do we think we're going to see Maddox... Ram, any of the other guys in the squad who we thought we might and just haven't even heard of, and then move into the coverage. Because those are the two I'm thinking of. Ram hasn't had his opportunity. We haven't heard about him at all. Maddox, who you kind of thought maybe got a chance at fullback there, but then not. Like Trevor Jose, Trevor Jose like a good example. Like where the hell's that guy? He deserves, surely I deserves a run. There's two weeks off. I just think we're going to. We, we want to absolutely come out and dominate Argentina. I think we'll play a full-strength team. Okay. I don't think they're going to experiment too much, but I could be wrong. Just quickly touching on the bench before we leave this game. Um, standouts, look, Angus Bell coming on in his debut early for a James Slipper playing his 100th who injured his elbow. It sounds like a dislocation, they thought. Um, so potentially a bit more game time coming up for Angus Bell in the future. Taniella showed his impact off the bench, a couple of monstrous runs, and gets the more or less a game-winning try for the Wallabies. Um, Tate McDermott continues to show something there as well, and we've already talked about Noah having a much more impressive game um, on the bench here, bouncing back a little bit, looking a little bit more confident um, with some go-forward ball. From the All Black side, disappointment for a couple of debutants there. Akira Iwani looked strong early, but then had to get subbed off uh, for a replacement prop um, mid in that second half, in that first half, sorry. And Will Jordan gets on for a debut, but cops a head knock very almost immediately um, and has to immediately leave the field. So a bit of a shame from them for that point of view. Look, guys, this weekend is the All Blacks Argentina in the Rugby Championship. Argentina played a Rugby Australia team on the weekend down at Leichhardt Oval. They played three-thirds of 30 minutes. 
we saw a lot of the Wallabies squad that haven't got to get on the field as yet. People like Trevor Hosea, people like James Ram, um, Izzy Nicerani, again, made a massive impact in this game, scoring two tries. But in the end, the Argentinians ran away with it, especially after we did sub on uh, some of the less well-known sort of players coming on, some of the more Sydney club players. But definitely some sparks there, definitely some showing from the Argentinians that maybe they are here to play and they've got still these talented guys that have been up in Europe, people like Nick Sanchez, people like um, Imhoff that have been prolific point scorers in Europe, and people from the Haguaras, people like Pablo Matera, uh, people like Dominic Miotti coming on there. So we're going to see some sparks and a little bit of fire from these Argentinians coming up next week. And that's that's what the All Blacks now have to face. And now, coming off a loss, they have to decide whether they go back to what they may think is their full-strength team or whether they continue to give some of their other players a bit more game time here. I think it'd be foolish for Ian Foster to think, you know, having not played Argentina for a stretch of time now, that if you put out a second-string team, that who's to say the same thing could happen again with this? Argentina could come in here and have a really hot start and surprise the All Blacks. I don't think that's a, a risk that the All Blacks can take coming off a loss. You know, when's the last time they're back-to-back losses? It just doesn't happen. So I think, you know, Richie will come back into 10. I think he's shown that he's the best option at 10. Wouldn't be surprised to see Bowden back at fullback. And, yeah, I think the All Blacks need to bounce back here with a pretty strong performance. So I expect him not to experiment too much, to go back to maybe that combination all those combinations that you saw in Sydney yeah I agree I think I think Ian Foster plays his best team this weekend because you, you can't afford to have a bunch of losses as a new coach and he's got one more than he probably wanted out of Australia uh, you know a draw and a loss and you know why wouldn't you play this team that the All Blacks have that many players they could play that many combinations they could try it almost feels like, oh, oh, you know, when are they going to do this? But the aim of the game is to win and, you know, win, win trophies, win cups, um, be the best, get get back to the number one team in the world. And, and you can't afford to be experimenting too much. You, there's a limit to when you, you know, really need a third, fourth, fifth combination of centres, fly half, halfback, whatever. Like, the guys play enough at super rugby level that those combinations will be there in a pinch, but most of the time you have enough to make your first or second choice work. So I think it will be full strength all the way. Um, you can't underestimate the Argentinians. They're an experienced outfit of bed together before. And it's just a, just a funny year where uh, they may not have seen each other much, but they may fall straight back into their old habits and, and play well. So definitely definitely one to, to stack your team with the best you can, play in a neutral venue and try and put the Argentinians away. And equally, the Argentinians to just go all out, nothing to lose. Yeah, absolutely nothing to lose from them. And I think think you're right. It's interesting how much blame has been placed on certain all-black players that came in that aren't considered, say, the first string. People like TJ Perinara has copped a lot of flack in the media in New Zealand for being such a tier below Aaron Smith, which I don't think people thought for a long time, but has a slightly off game. People are thinking, this is why we don't start him at test level. Even Bowden Barrett, um, now a little bit criticised for not being up to the same level as Moanga and thinking, nah, he needs to stick to being back at fullback there. 
So it is interesting. We've gone from the All Blacks could make two um, 15s that would probably beat most teams in the world that that maybe now we're leaving that look when they play their best team, they're still a formidable outfit, but maybe it's not to the quite same depth as they may have had five years ago or so. I don't know. I, I still don't know if I buy into that. I think this was a almost a, not a rare game. It was just a, it was a strange game. And I think that most games don't run like this. You don't get in, an early red against you and have to react to it and then another red and you're like, all right, now it's 14 on 14. And then it was a strange game and I think the Wallabies actually just adjusted better to the conditions and and weren't faced as much as I thought they'd be to, to what went down. I think the All Blacks didn't capitalise on their opportunities and equally I think the Wallabies' defence was accurate and, and potent and physically we probably dominated them. But, look, I think most... International teams would succumb to that all black. It's one game. It's one. Yeah, that's what I. That's why I think the New Zealand rugby public is just so harsh. You know, harshest in the world if they have a loss. Yeah, the the feedback in most of the stories here is that the All Blacks didn't adjust well to having one man down and a prop, and you know that affects lineouts and then I guess a bit scrums until that combination resets. So. I don't think it was their best game, but equally we didn't fall apart when we had a red card and then a yellow card, and and that may have been a little bit unsettling for them. We earned the win. They didn't adjust and and make the most of the advantages they had. Yeah, we were just better. So, yeah, I think the the rugby public, the media, they're far too quick to read into this performance. I expect the All Blacks will go back to those first-choice players across the board, and I think they're going to make a real statement against Argentina. If Argentina are a little bit off, this could be, you know, a pretty... another demolition, I guess, similar to what we saw in Sydney from the All Blacks. Argentina have four games in this Tri-Nations tournament. Where do you see them finishing? Do you see them having zero wins? Do you see them having one win? Do you see them having more? Uh, I see them again, not winning a game. Again, looking at this as a team that's had not winning no. a game. I think given... Look, if, it would be very different if we just lost the All Blacks. I think you know the morale of the group would have dropped again. The Wallabies are going to be on a high now. We're going to look to build on this. And I think having the two weeks off helps us recover. You know, they're going straight into an All Blacks team that's, you know, boxed in. You know, you're yeah, almost yeah. catching them at the most dangerous because they're going to be so focused this week. They're going to be absolutely whipped at training. They're going to go back to their first choice 15 and looking to make an impression. But then then you get us following that, recovered, rejuvenated, having seen Argentina already play. So we, we know what they're about, and we're going to have time to prepare. So that's another bad scenario for them. And then they're back to the, the All Blacks. Yeah, be more it's going to be... So it's, it's, it's really tough for them, and we've had we've had these leading games, which always helps because we get rid of those those you know the rust in our game somewhat. There haven't been too many serious injuries, you know, apart from our playmakers. But apart from that, I think you know the rust is Pretty gone exactly. from our game a little bit. Whereas Argentina, yeah. it's good they had these leading games with the the lesser Australian teams, but it doesn't really count. It's not a it's not a full blown international, so I think they will struggle early on. Yeah, yeah. Look, they're they're playing all their games away from home. It's an unusual year. They haven't had the same build up, and they get you know 
number two team in the world, followed by fresh Aussies, followed by fresh number two team, followed by, oh my God, when this tour is over. If they're going to upset anyone, it'll be us in Newcastle because it's in Newcastle and we just never seem to... Yeah, yeah never seem to do that. That's, that's what I saw when they said, yeah. join so us in Newcastle for the next game. I was yeah. like, oh, Jesus. So hopefully the country crowd <laughs> travel down from yeah. the Hunter and, and from out west and, and bolster the numbers there. Um, that, that's the only game which I feel a little bit um, at risk just because, you know, we won't have... We'll have had two weeks and maybe too much time off and they could come off a sore beating or a close game with the All Blacks and, and be really fired up. And we've, we're just going to have to lift and match them. They're a very dynamic uh, team as well with a lot of pace and a lot of the, more the kicking skills. There'll be a lot more variety in the kicking game. So if we're going to lose, it'll be the first one. It'll be in Newcastle. And then I would hope that given home ground advantage and the, just the attrition of those consecutive games against good teams, I would, I would hope that we would take one, if not both. Elsewhere in the world, we have the Autumn Internationals, or the Autumn Rugby Championship. Autumn Nations. The eight or nations. Whatever they call it. I don't know what they're calling it. Autumn whatever you want to call somewhere. it. Look, I'm excited with it, really. Looking at this first weekend of matches, we have Ireland hosting Wales. Ireland obviously coming off the loss to France. Wales losing at home to Scotland. And many are worrying that there's going to be a return to the dark days of Welsh rugby before the time of Warren Gatland. That starts off the weekend um, that then is followed by Italy and Scotland um, on Saturday, and then England hosting Georgia as well, which I can't wait for because we know how excited the Georgians will be to be included in this rugby tournament. They'll be there to play, and they have some big forwards and some big boys, and they'll be looking to make an impact against Eddie Jones's men. And then it finishes off with France versus Fiji, Obviously, a huge amount of the Fijian players playing in France. So there'll be a lot of people that know each other, playing with each other. There was COVID scares earlier with the Fijian team. It seems that uh, those had cleared and they will be ready and ready to go in this team. And potentially even bolstered by the return of Semi Radradra, who's appeared to have made a miraculous recovery from a hamstring injury uh, for Bristol earlier in the premiership. And I think something to note as well, that all the matches are going to be shown on Amazon prime streaming service. So I think that's really exciting as well, because at least over in the UK here, a lot of people just have that because they're just purchasing items. And so you can feed into that with Amazon prime video and be watching that and every game live. That's a, a great thing for rugby. Absolutely. And speaking of broadcast deals with streaming services, we should mention what, Uh, Rugby Australia have announced and that is a new broadcast deal. Yes, they've left Fox. They're not going to be on KO. They are now on Stan the streaming service there. Yes, any of you from overseas probably have never heard of that name but second largest streaming service in Australia behind Netflix Um, and now they're branching out into live sports. So we'll have all of Super Rugby AU all of Super Rugby Atuloa, all of the Wallaroos games, all of Super W and the Rugby Championship as well. But they will also be showing uh, some free-to-air games on Channel 9 in Australia with one Super Rugby game a week, the Saturday night game, as as well as selected games out of the Rugby Championship as well, which you would expect to include most of the Wallabies games. So 
a big change for Rugby Australia there, but a welcome one. I think there was a lot of concern over where the rugby would end up. And this is a platform that's open to a lot more people, I think, than than probably Fox And Shoot Shield and Queensland Cup just at Arch, they're also in there. So I think it's a full package. And I, you know, having gone through a lot of times thinking, well, these negotiations with the free-to-air networks, there's always some sort of catch in there where you're not quite happy with, you know, the agreement that they go into. But, you know, Channel 10's gone now, Channel 9's in there. You know, they're taking this on um, to the full extent Having lost cricket in recent years, um, I think rugby union has a potential for them to build around that. Obviously, we know they have rugby league, but you know this is a real opportunity for, for um, you know really grow in the next three years before the next World Cup. And a big part, I think, of Nine's value will be well, they've obviously got a lot of experience pushing fairly major codes, at least in Australia, and they're going to have a lot of people, a lot of infrastructure. Um, a lot of processes for supporting all that broadcasting. And also that that nine media network includes, you know, digital media, streaming services, the, the, the print media as well. So we may actually see some more journalists from that group at the nine or whatever is nine media allocated to covering rugby, which would be great because... There's obviously a lot of rugby out there in the thick of the season. You've got all the shoot-shield rivalries and competition. You've got the women's game in parallel to all that. Don't forget that you've got you know rugby sevens. You've got um, all the the super rugby in Aotearoa. There's, there's so much to be covered. And then often we, we lose any sort of coverage of things like this selection selection. 15 that played Argentina like it's been so hard to get any information on that game um, week to week that's you know even getting the lineup let alone any sort of analysis or or feedback or even the result like it's it it just deserves more and if rugby's serious about having a, a like a big comprehensive product that gives you the view from the grassroots all the way up to the the national team it needs that level of coverage so Hopefully, all the the losses that Nine have had across different codes, where they used to provide so much deep, um, you know, thorough coverage, even through the week, midweek shows. Uh, hopefully, that that will come to rugby's aid, and we'll actually get a more thorough uh, coverage for rugby throughout the seasons. Yeah, and I agree. And they even are talking about extra products, extra extra kind of streams for rugby, like State of Union which we've talked about um, previously on this podcast. So really looking to grow rugby in different ways. Um, and it's look, it's the major media outlet in Australia, particularly on TV. Um, like I said, they've lost cricket in recent years. They've lost AFL. So this is going to be one of their central sports they're building around. And, yeah, it's a three-year deal with a two-year option, so they can extend beyond the 2023 World Cup if they're happy with how things are going. Yeah, it's $33 million, I think, a year for Rugby Union. Um, probably not the most money we could have got, um, but I think in terms of on balance, there are so many positives that can come out of this, having you know, a game of rugby, particularly Super Rugby AU, say live on a Saturday night. I think that's, that's going to be huge for younger viewers actually getting to see the product and people that you know haven't been prepared to invest. They have Channel 9, it's free to air, 
and then they might be tempted into Stan as well if they like what they see. It'll be very interesting to see the scheduling um, with the Australian teams, the five teams next year. Are the Force going to host any Saturday night games? Are the Brumbies and the Reds going to carry a lot of those aside from when there's a, you know, maybe a Rebels Waratahs derby or something like um there's there's limited options because there's only two games of Super Rugby AU to be played every week with five teams and I just wonder how they'll go scheduling that Saturday night. They they can't afford to have too many, you know, dire Waratahs um Western Force in Perth type matches that that kind of peter out. You say that but but remember what the four squad is going yeah, to look like. Right. There's that's going to be right. some big draw cards and big names that they can they can play up and bring people, get people interested Very in. True. When you're rocking around with Argentinian, Irish, uh, Australian and South African internationals in your teams and New Zealand internationals, like there are some big names you can join. And Twiggy's Twiggy's made a bit of a splash lately as well. Uh, you know, buying RM Williams, you know, he supported the force. He's becoming a bit of an Australian icon now. So don't be surprised to see, I think, more coverage of his involvement in rugby and more promotion, I think, of the force going forward. They could even sign a few more big names because I think they'll be looking to make a statement in Super Rugby AU prior to us moving, you know, to a trans-Tasman competition maybe in 2022. I think that's exactly right. Okay, I think that's pretty much everything we need to cover. I'm sure we could go back and talk about Wallabies more, but don't worry, boys. We'll be back next week and we can talk about them even more. This weekend, obviously, New Zealand hosting Argentina, hosting in brackets because it's at Bankwest Stadium in Sydney on Saturday night, plus all those autumn internationals from the Northern Hemisphere, as we said, streaming on Amazon Prime if you're interested with those as well make sure you're tuning in there's so much stuff it's it's heating up over these next couple of weeks in world rugby make sure you're staying connected with us on social media on facebook and instagram at running rugby podcast or tweet us at running rugby pod tell us who your favorite player was from the wallabies victory in Bledisloe four otherwise make sure you have pressed that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Archie. Toby is here. Leo is here. We're stoked the Wallabies are on track for a big end of the season in 2020 and another big year in 2021. And as always, we'll keep on running. Run.